Being disabled or having a chronic illness can feel like you're moving forward in reverse. I'm your host, Scott Martin. Join me and my new friends from this underrepresented community as we talk about disrupting the status quo and creating change within the world and within ourselves. Hey, life's a road trip. Hop in. Let's turn on some tunes and go. With me in the passenger seat and managing the radio is Lori Frischer. Preparing for this show, I struggle with the notion of avoiding the simplicity of introducing Lori by telling you that she is deaf. But then I came across a statement about her and realized that her hearing loss is part of who she is. Now, that paragraph reads as follows. Born with moderate to severe hearing loss and diagnosed as a toddler, Lori worked hard throughout her school years to compensate. She relied on hearing aids and lip reading, an imperfect solution that kept her locked out of family conversations in the car, guessing at what friends found funny at parties, and relying on note takers and tutors to help her under, understand her teacher in class. That t- tied it all together for me and led me to the, my desire to have her on as a guest. So, hi, Lori. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm in central Wisconsin and everything's going well. As I mentioned in our pre-lip, I'm a substitute teacher and I was in business class today. I don't know a heck of a lot about it, but I was able to give uh, some concept to the kids about what we were doing. So as a substitute teacher, I have to juggle things all the time. All right. So thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Let's get rolling. Let's set the uh, part of the base for our discussion. Um, you had both cochlear implants and, esteem, and the esteem implant. Tell us a little bit about, or tell us a lot about the differences and the timing for these surgeries. So I was blessed to have an opportunity to be um, the first candidate in the world um, to receive the esteem implant with a cochlear implant in uh, 2010. And it was an opportunity for me to try a new wave of technology um, that was out um, for people who had um, a moderate to severe hearing loss. And um, that was my loss. So I became a candidate. And I took advantage of the opportunity to embrace this technology, which allowed me to hear a lot of sound that I had never heard for the first time. So this was everything from the sound of water to my dog panting to, you know, leaning on a pillow and even realizing, wow, that makes noise um, to water, you know, drinking water and um, just the sound of swallowing. Um, So there were a lot of, you know, unique sounds, but, you know, sound that the average person takes for granted. Um, So it was a really incredible time for me to advocate for people who have been struggling with hearing loss and, um, you know, have more of a natural type of sound. I had this implant for about 10 years. And um, in 2020, uh, my battery life had terminated. So um, the robot um, had died. And um, I... 
I, I knew that I had wanted to continue to take advantage of uh, the incredible technology uh, that is out there for people um, like me and uh, decided to get a cochlear implant in that ear. And I'm wearing two cochlear implants to date. And um, it's, it's incredible that this, this is out there for people to um, use and to have the opportunities um, that I have been fortunate to have in both my personal life and my um, professional life. Now, in my research about you, I found that both you and your father were uh, college athletes. You were both tennis players. Um, I, when I started digging in more to who you are and the things that you've done, it really made sense because you've got an edge to you. And it's an edge of an athlete. I, mean, I, I play college soccer and beyond, and I know there's a little bit, well, there's a lot of toughness. And there is an uh, idea and a desire, and it really seemed to fit with what you went through. Now, could you tell us a little bit, just browse about it a little bit about, uh, you were a walk-on at, at the college level, correct? Yes, I went to the University of Hartford um, after graduating um, as a double state uh, champion um, back in New York. And I decided that I wanted to continue to play, play sports in college. And I decided to try out. It was one of those things where I was also a soccer player. I was a basketball player and uh, a tennis player. So I had to make a decision what, what it was that I really wanted to do. And tennis, I felt, was a lifetime sport. Um, and growing up with um, my father, who was a collegiate athlete, um, always, you know, disciplined me to that mindset of, you know, really staying focused. And he had um, always given me this um, eye of the tiger pointing to his eye oh, to be tough and to stay focused if I was off track. Um, and I, I really always used my athletics as a way to power through things in, in my life. And having that discipline as an athlete, as you know, is something that really helps shape so many individuals in mm -hmm. their, in their life. And, uh, I know that that has given me the competitive competitive attitude that I have with, you know, powering through it and getting through it and not being afraid of it and, you know, just staying uh, in that positive mindset to get me uh, through my, my daily life. I, I really agree with you on, on things when I, uh, after I became a, a quad amputee when I was 35 years old and coaching college soccer and all of a sudden I couldn't play anymore. Well, that was left and where else could it go? But that's really what drove me or allowed me to drive through everything that I went through. Now let's go back to after you had the implants. Um, you mentioned a few of the sounds and I, I think they're very intricate. And I thank you for saying those because it's going to make some people think about it. But were there any sounds that you sought out that you wanted to make sure that you hurt really heard for the first time the sounds were so um extraordinary Scott so there were just mm. so many of them and you know it's hard to pinpoint 
specifics, but the sound of water was something that really was an emotional sound for me. Um, you know, hearing water, uh, whether it was rain or going in the shower and hearing water come mm. from, you know, the shower head onto my hair. I mean, to hear that, uh, I never had heard that. It was kind of like, do I really hear that? I mean, my goodness, my whole life, I have never heard the sound of water. Uh, being in a hairdresser uh, a salon, you know, the hairdresser and putting your head back in the sink and they're, they're talking to you and having a conversation and you cannot even communicate with them uh, to being able to do that. So those, those were some of the really peaking sounds for me um, to hearing a um, person putting change on a counter and saying to my father, uh, what is that? And that, they're counting the change on the counter at the end of the day at, you know, a store. To hear those types of sounds, um, to hearing laughter, but really hearing it and feeling mm-hmm. it. And, you know, having hearing aids my whole life, I was still able to hear, but the quality of hearing really, you know, changed when these implants um, were gifted to me. Uh, mm-hmm. This opportunity of a lifetime to experience that, and and you know having having this opportunity of exploring technology, and then it having its challenges later on, where I am now, you know, permanently deaf without the use of cochlear implants. So I could say I learned how to hear with devices. I've been uh-huh. gifted the opportunity to hear sound. And now I don't have the luxury of hearing water when I take a shower. So, so much has changed, but you, know, you realize how precious these gifts are. And to have the opportunity to have said, I've been there and I've had that feeling, you can't take that away ever. No, never take it for granted. And I'm, I'm sure that listeners are going to be thinking about this stuff more now. You know, water, especially, and simplicity of coins. Well, we don't use coins so much anymore, I guess. <laughs> Let me ask you about music. What, were, what are your favorite types of music? You know, what really, what really tripped your trigger? I mean, was it, oh, that's what the Rolling Stones sound like, or you know, is there any uh, specific type of music? I have always been someone who has loved music. Um, music for me was always vibration and more mm-hmm. instrumental sounds. That was what I identified with. Um, I was wondering we, about that. We we grew up, uh, my sister and I, with. Um, jukeboxes in our, our home. My father Very was a cool. big fan of 45 records and yeah. my mom and him were big dancers, you know, back in the day. And, Great. Um, you know, music was always part of our, our house. Um, mm-hmm. Whether I would hear the words or not, it was just still part of the mood. 
And I always used to get the inside of um, tape cassettes and read the lyrics to know the words because that was the only way I would be able to even sing the words at a bar mitzvah or um, an event and kind of read the lips of the person across from me because if I didn't do that, then I just would pretend I knew the words and just I'd sit there and just act like I knew it. And it was hard because music is such a big piece of a lot of people's lives um, and people love to sing to one another. So when the technology came around, I was actually hearing the lyrics and to be able to, even today, to hear the lyrics, even if I don't get 100% of it, I am getting more than I've ever um, been able to receive listening to music. So I love music, um, all types of music. Um, growing up, I was a big fan of uh, obviously 80s music and still okay. am. Um, I, I, I do. I, I think that's some of our best music, according to me, uh, because I grew up with it. So, uh, well, let, I, me, let me ask you something specific. Uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day. Does that sound familiar to you? It does. It does. It does. Yeah. I, I, I had met um, an extraordinary woman who is uh, a mother of a deaf son who uh, told me about karaoke and um, mm-hmm. the technology. And um, she said, listen, when you get your implant turned on, I want you to come over and do this karaoke machine. And I did. And the song that came on was Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day. And it, it has a very special meaning to my heart. I saw an extremely happy person and I saw the video of that and I could, I felt how happy you were doing that. That was just phenomenal i i can't express it but watching your voice right now because you and i are on cameras with each other i see that same person that's amazing Lori. i'm glad you had that opportunity and i i thank you for posting it because it was it was really cool on my side yeah it makes you really think about you know how you take those things for granted you know, listening oh, yeah. to sound and listening to oh, music yeah. and hearing words of music. And there are so many amazing uh, dancers who are deaf. And people like go, God, how are they such good dancers? And mm-hmm. um, it's because they they sense vibration and they're, they're great dancers. Some of the best dancers. I, I hadn't thought about that, but that's true. How Staying on an emotional side, I want to get into something that I dug up on you before you, we get into talking about your business. And I, I think it it was a thread for me, that another piece of putting a puzzle together, so to speak, on getting to this point where we're at right now. And that's We Media. And um, is it safe to assume that uh, such an experience helped you form the base for uh, you building Ready or Not Media? We'll get into talking about ready or not in a bit. I've had a lot of blessings in my life and we media was 
what I will consider the best job of my entire life. And for many reasons, we were um, cutting edge. We Media was built um, with the premise of a magazine, a lifestyle magazine. It expanded into online properties out of New York and then went into television. We were the first multimedia company for people with disabilities. We put people with disabilities on the global stage um, all over the world. And we were the town and country magazine for the disabled um, to dream big, to embrace disability, but to recognize the family, the friends of the community of people with disabilities. And we were always aiming high for the disability market from the travel experiences to being um, in sports and lifestyle. And that experience that I had out of New York with the incredible visionaries behind it, um, it was all heart, soul, and business. And we um, was um, around for about four and a half, five years of um, bringing the community to life. And through those experiences of meeting a lot of different um, nonprofit organizations, national, global organizations, working with some of the biggest um, trailblazers in the industry who made laws happen um, for the community of people with disabilities, um, those who were involved in the Paralympic movement, um, elevating all of um, these athletes to, like I said, dream big. Those opportunities really built the foundation for me to know the power of this community um, and the power to bring this market to the forefront, but to bring this um, to light through Ready or Not Media. We, media was 20 years too early. So a lot of the things that we did back in, you know, 1999, 1997, going into um, the Paralympics in Sydney, Australia, were so innovative. And so my experience through all of this has been um, a very big piece of my passion. And I have that passion and that fire to be even more creative and innovative than what we're seeing now. You know, you're seeing a lot of you know, people with disabilities in ads and people are coming into the movies now. And I, I wanna take it even at a higher level because I know what we can do. And mm-hmm. I know the work doesn't stop. Now, what you just said is, I think it reflects I've been doing this show now for, oh gosh, starting the third month of it. And I'm starting to feel like I I have an opportunity to become part of that. And I want to. And it's all of this learning to help. This started to, for me to create a platform for my book because publishers said, damn it, you got to, uh, whatever. But now I've gotten into this. Now, I want to go back to, I came across this name. And it made me think about a little boy in the mid-1960s that learned all about 
Vietnam War and how to speak up uh, and speak out about what's right. And this this guy's name, and I used to call him Uncle Walter because I I looked up to him Monday through Friday. Walter Cronkite. You worked with Walter Cronkite, correct? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he was one of my mountains. I, I That guy taught me a lot about how to be a person. And I see when I came across that, oh, yeah. Here's another thread that ties you into what you're doing now. Um, just tell me a little bit about working with Uncle Walter, would you please? Yes, I um, will never forget the day that I sat in his office and it was just the two of us. And um, his assistant, Marlene Adler at the time, was outside and she was knocking on the door trying to get us to go outside to start um, working on on the launch of WeMedia.com. And neither of us could hear Marlene at the door because he had a hearing loss and so did I. So finally she like parked through the doors and she was like, you two, we need to get you out here. (laughs) So it was a a really special Um. moment. Um, and just seeing um, the incredible mementos that he had in his office oh. and all of the work he's done through the years. I mean, oh, yeah. so many things to count. But um, having the opportunity to work with him and bring WeMedia.com to life through the production of um, the videos that we and the commercials that we created was incredible. And when I say incredible, um, you talk about voices and the power of voices. Walter Cronkite, you know, when he was speaking in the um, clips of what we were doing to launch this incredible milestone, as soon as we put his voice and narration into the videos, all of a sudden, all of us looked at each oh. other in the production room and we just <laughs> literally dropped. Like to the floor, and we went. He just nailed it, oh, and yeah. it was because of the sound of his voice and the honesty, like you know, of who mm-hmm. he is. And he, there was no one like him, and no. it was epic. It was epic, no. and he's been a tremendous force into the work I was. Um, you know, doing then and 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 again now, he um, did use these words, "Ready or not, here we come," and oh, that okay. was what he spoke to with what We Media was doing. And I said to myself, "How can I take the words ready or not' and bring them to life today in the work I'm about to do and I thought, ready or not, is not a question. It is a statement making people think and do. So no more, do more was the emphasis that we need to move into conversations and open up and give each other permission to move forward and move ahead. Well, when I 
that carries me into when I started first digging into Ready or Not Media, I, I found this statement, and it reads, to simultaneously dismantle persistent negative stereotypes while advocating for people of all, that's all, capital A, capital L, capital L, all abilities to be included in today's workforce and communities. And yeah, um, that ties into Uncle Walter and how you got that from him. Now, I'm going to open up, or and, and folks should be aware that they'll be able to get onto the Ready or Not Media website. It's going to be on uh, the uh, Life's a Road Trip website. There'll be a link, and I could pull that up. And um, from there, I, I found a quote, and, I, and you answered it, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I took the time to write it. Uh, I wonder if it was... <laughs> It, to me, it sounds like it. the, the quote um, both asks questions and is the name of the company. And I, I found these three questions on the website. Are you ready to learn more about people with disabilities? Are you ready to rise above discomfort and become comfortable with uh, the disability community? And are you ready to erase stereotypes? Now, I'll, I'll preface my Next, the, the, the question I'm getting into, um, was the name meant to stir conversation or push the door open to corporate America? And before I, you answer that question, I want to leave us to leave about two seconds gap here because uh, Life's a Road Trip is starting to gain a good number of, of listeners and we might start be able to drop some ads. So we're going to take a two second break here in case someone actually wants to pay us some money so we could start investing in advertising. So here we go. Okay. Answer the question then, would you please? Was the name meant to stir conversation or push the doors open to corporate America? I mean, really push the doors open to corporate America. The opportunity for the mainstream to join us to have the conversation is where it starts. Okay. We will be pushing the doors open to corporate America through these conversations. We want corporate America to understand that they as leaders can join this community at any given moment. And this is a moment in time for them to participate, to create change, and to improve their bottom line. I wonder, I, I'm having a hard time because you, you just said they can. Lady, from what I learned about you and the feeling I'm getting from you is, I don't know how often you use the word, you can do this. I have a feeling it's a little bit more direct than, oh, you can do this. Maybe there's a little bit more forcefulness. In it. And I was, I was going to ask you the question, but have you ruffled any feathers? I think I love to ruffle feathers. <laughs> I, I knew it. I knew I, it. I am not <laughs> afraid to use the power of words through storytelling. Good to make people understand and relate to real life. Mm 
circumstances and the ruffling of feathers can be used in a variety of ways. And I ruffle feathers with heart, with passion, with conviction, with um, an opportunity for you to join me to be part of the change. I believe change happens when there is collaboration and the opportunities unfold. And that's how barriers will be broken. But you know darn well that when they're in their own offices, and I'm just stating it broadly, when they are in their own offices and you're not there, they're talking about the bottom line, money. But what you're talking about, Lori, is expecting them to do something with money, as in changing of ways, retraining their people, spending money on advertising, spending money on uh, changes in design. You're expecting them, by being polite, to spend money. And I, I worry about that because they might not see it coming back. You talk about spending money to make money. And well, that's a good one, yeah. And this is a powerful group that is comprised of 1.8 billion people. It is right. I am on your front page. I'm on your front page right now. And that's what it says. 1.8 billion people with disabilities. $13 trillion of global purchasing power. One in seven people are uh, disabled worldwide. 15% of the global population. So that's what you're putting on these people. And doggone it. Yeah. And larger than the population of China. Oh, there you go. So when, when you talk about the power, it's not only the power of the disability community, it's the power of family, friends, loyalty that comes from this market. So corporate leaders need to look beyond the disability community, but to also understand that when a consumer sees or hears or experiences, even through the sound of silence, that a company is supporting them, the loyalty that comes from those in their circle, the one becomes three, the three becomes five. What corporate executive would not want to tap into that market? Also, there are people who have not come forward with their disability because they are not in the setting where there is empathy, where there is accessibility. And until that happens, then they'll see even more of a momentum in bottom line. Well, let me be a, um, from a person that is now, I guess, seeing myself proud to be a part of the disabled community. I've been here for 30 years, but I've never seen myself as part of it. And by doing this show for now two months, over two months, um, it's really 
getting my feathers ruffled into wanting to do it. I have, I'll be honest with you, and I've said this to a couple of guests, from my perspective, I have been seeing the disability community as being, I would categorize it as quiet. And I'm trying to get people on the show that want to do something about that and stir things up. And when I hear you say, yeah, I mean, it's easy to throw out the numbers, but I really, we're dealing with people that are making decisions based on money, but they probably have bean counters that check into things and how much or what difference is it really going to make? And you are trying to do something with your company though. With my company, uh, Ready or Not Media, what we are doing is it starts in one place, Scott. It starts with empathy. You have to hit the hearts of not only leaders, people, employees who have feelings. We all are born with a heart and there's a pulse where we have feelings. If I say to you, I don't love you anymore, and you hear that news, that that is very hard to absorb. If yes. I receive that information, the receiver is it's hard to receive. The person delivering that, it's hard to do that too. So both people have feelings. So when we put people in the situations of understanding through storytelling, understanding through immersion, that brings out that feeling of understanding where before they may have never come to terms with that feeling. So when we're bringing those feelings and heightening those feelings with empathy, the awareness starts to unravel and unfold. We are showing that that feeling could touch the person directly. It could touch someone that is part of their family, part of their circle, part of their corporate environment, and to change the narrative through those experiences. Well, let me let me get into something about like for myself, and as I'm hearing you say this, this is this is great. But and I'm not trying to throw cold water on what you're saying. I'm just being honest about stuff because that's what we're doing. The thread of my book is about at 35, he just finished his first year of coaching a, a college soccer program that uh, became nationally ranked. After that, he was heading to Europe. Nike asked him to come and speak because they heard good things about him. While at Nike, he fell ill woke up uh, a month later to learn that he had lost both his hands and parts of his feet. Uh, Four more months in the hospital, four years still developing a a nationally ranked college soccer program, but he hit um, a a point where he just sold everything, didn't fit into his car, headed west, and ran to some people there that gave him a different opportunity. He uh, uh, left coaching soccer to raise five adopted kids from Romania and Ethiopia. He raised those kids until the youngest uh, got into high school and then took on a a group of third-rank 
uh, 13-year-old kids at the first team and the second team all passed by. He took them, got them to believe in themselves, and they went and that first year won uh, a state title and went undefeated. Now, I've taken that book, and I had two agents that took the book to publishers for me, and they all said the same thing. Oh, great story, but he needs a platform because they're all concerned about money because they don't think that anymore you could go out and sell a good American story because you they want to be able to cover their butts. And that's what I'm saying, Lori. I agree with you, but I wonder how much is really there because it, it does, my experience, like I just explained to you, always has come down to the same thing. Oh, we want to have guaranteed sales before we, before we buy the book. Holy cow. So we're talking about the same thing, and I hope that you're able to do it on a broader scale. I'm trying on a smaller scale, but we're both trying for the same thing. And that's what I'm trying to do with this show. And, and I appreciate and I respect uh, leaders like yourself who are doing that and giving others platforms, voices, even using your stories and being as real and honest and direct and not, um, you know, putting this, this smoke and mirrors on all that. Oh, yeah. It's oh, yeah. Really- Really important. And I will tell you the points of conviction of getting people to understand the value of this market. We are teachers, we're travelers, we're directors, we're authors, we're producers, we're radio hosts, we are moms, dads, brothers, sisters, parents, family, you know, people. And uh-huh. and we are consumers. We buy toothpaste. We use products and services just like everybody else. I am trying to bring that perception and reality to people that are leading and also with the understanding that it is also universal design. This is not something that is only to be specialized. This is just creating products and services that are universal and you, know, you look at the the fact that so many people love Siri. Siri is everyone's best friend. Well, Siri yeah. helps this community more than anybody, but Siri is also for people who may not have disabilities. So getting companies to understand that they, they can think outside the box and look at technology in such a... A, a different way and a more inclusive way and also a diverse way. I hadn't thought about that, Siri. Yeah. Wow. Let, I, I, let's let's get on to your, your blog because you just had your most recent blog about something positive and it's Lego and their Lego Friends campaign on what they're doing. And, and I actually have a guest coming on next week. And he does a lot of posting on LinkedIn, and I, I picked up on that. So when I read that from you on your blog page, oh, okay, this is cool. I could. So just to mention, I did a lot of digging into this to get ready for the guest that's coming up next week. Lego Friends. It's out there, folks. Fiona is one of the Lego Friends. Uh, she has Down syndrome. Now, Fiona isn't on in many of the – I think she's actually only in – the largest uh, package that they sell. They sell. 
but Autumn was born with um, without a left hand, I believe it is. And Autumn is in two of the... No, she's on three different packages, so people can see. So there is a positivity. I mean, Lego is pretty darn big, and they are going for it, and they're uh, one of the building blocks. They're in the base, I would see, and I applaud what they've done, and it's going to be interesting to see what their results are with how kids react, and maybe... I think this is what you're talking about. Well, it must be because you put it on your blog. So what's your perspective on what Lego has done? I love what Lego is doing. I think that kids and parents of children with disabilities and parents of children without disabilities have um, an opportunity to um, share with their children the different identities that are out there in everyday life. And there becomes more of a normal when you see these products being developed that kids won't be scared and have fears around people with differences. And those differences aren't just disability differences. Those are people of another race, gender, um, sexual orientation. And when we make it part of the norm is what we're trying to do with companies and going back to the whole universal design. I, I believe it will only bring um, more people together and only improve work environments and, and, you know, just, everyday communication and understanding um, through the Legos of the world. And I know for me, at growing up, I, I didn't have access to a Barbie with a hearing aid to identify with. Or no way. At a Barbie with a wheelchair. I, I didn't have those toys around me. I was not, a, I, I was not associated um, with it because it wasn't around me. And yeah. I always tried to be treated as normal as possible um, and not looked at as a girl, young girl with a disability. I was always like, look at me, I'm an athlete. I'm, you know, going to tennis camp and I you know, am, smart and my mom works with me to help me navigate through things and get through education but i'm still doing and acting so i think lego is really setting the precedent for um inclusion i i i i, I just applaud i this is a start i mean for me being a new to getting into this realm of trying to stir things up and trying to help. Um, this is my first experience with a company that's actually sticking their neck out there and basically thumbing their nose at everyone. Well, maybe it's a smart thing. They're being the first to market. They are. Uh, I wish my kids weren't uh, so old that they won't have Legos because I'd be buying them for them. <laughs> Cause I think it's just, Fantastic. I hope more people will. 
So. Yeah, I, I think, like I said, they're, they're setting the precedent and, um, you know, yeah, there, there are those controversies out there and, you know, unfortunately, you know, sometimes political agendas get in the way of things. And I try not to look at that. I look at it from a standpoint of positive change. And I look at everything through how can we make things better and people more aware. Okay. Well, talking about making things better, I want to get into a book that uh, you're involved with. It's called Misadventures. I just love the title. It's M-I-S-S-Adventures. So tell tell us about that, please. Especially how broad it is with the number of people that are are part of it. So about um, two months before um, December of of last year, I had been approached by uh, the author, uh, Stephanie Bailey, uh, who wrote Misadventures um, in covering women and um, the ultimate empowerment. It it was an opportunity that she was giving me to use my voice and my vulnerability as a woman, as a woman, and share my experiences to other women and empower other women to be able to um, unveil their vulnerability, uh, whether it was through their challenges of maybe having a disability or, you know, their sexuality or um, being more forward and direct in what their inner voices were telling them. And it was an opportunity for me to share my deepest vulnerabilities about some of the experiences that I had as a woman growing up with hearing loss and, sharing those uh, snippets and stories uh, through this chapter and kind of coming to that sense of even giving myself permission to do it. Mm. And it was very empowering for me to take on that challenge with myself because I thought, how am I going to do this? Am I ready to do this? And it goes back to the whole ready or not feeling. It's a feeling I carry in my life every day. And it's a feeling that most of us carry every day. And mm-hmm. the book has done exceptionally well. It's um, number one Amazon bestseller in six categories. Cool. And cool. to say I'm a published author of a book that is number <laughs> one, um, it gives me a lot of ammunition to say, I, I think maybe I, I should start you know, thinking about a book myself. Um, oh my goodness! Here we go. You're... <laughs> well, Another layer. A lot, of, a lot of people who have read it um, have shared with me. Um, it's actually the last chapter, chapter twenty-two of this book, and definitely um, felt it was the best way to kind of like end um, this book, and um, so deep and personal. But a lot of people really. Um, love the fact that I share so much vulnerability and they wanted more. They wanted to hear more stories. And there are so many stories that um, I haven't shared and will continue to share. So we'll see. Well, someone put a bug in your ear. You know, one of the things I learned about the uh, book industry is 
you got to grab them at the start and you got to grab them at the end. So they leave feeling really good. And for you, for your chapter to be at the end, that's telling you something. You have a future there, kid. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I was going to be asking you about what, what you have going, but now you let it leak out. So I want to do something a little bit different here. The sound of the VW horn means it's time to shift gears and let's get into the road trip roundup. I'm going to be throwing you five questions about your experiences with road trips. Okay, Lori? Just however you want to get into it. Um, when road tripping, do you tend to do fast food or local diners? Diners. Okay. Okay. My, my wife, Sue, and I have been talking about this. On, we have a road trip coming up. We're getting down into Nashville and Memphis doing a lot of some music uh, at the end of this month with some friends. And we said, uh, we're doing diners because I'm starting to get that answer from a lot of my guests. And the local stuff, so you can get the local uh, fare and just to sit down and relax, right? We need to do that more. I like and I that. think you have okay. some variety. I think with a diner, you have more variety of food yeah. to eat, too. Yeah. Well, there's always McDonald's, you know, if you have to gas up and, and go hit the bathroom or something, yeah, it's always going to be there for that. But it's, it's for that purpose. So I'm learning something. Uh, what's your dream car for a road trip? That can be something you had as a kid, you have now, or something, heck, you'd rent. What's your dream car for a road trip? My my dream car for a, a road trip would probably be a, um, I think I'd like maybe an old Thunderbird would be. Oh, what are you talking now? Old, they did them twice. You talking about late fifties Thunderbird or early sixties? And in fifties Thunderbird. Yeah, there you go. Oh. To, um, to drive uh -huh. in the convertible or the hardtop. Convertible or hardtop. You know, my my family had a picture of a Thunderbird um, actually uh, in our basement, and um, I also like. Um, the Mustang that my my parents had when they first got married, that was um, also cool. So I, I think between either or would be cool. Very nice. You got to do it then, kid. You got to do it. All right, next. Last cassette or CD that played while you were on a road trip? Most people who know me would... <laughs> Here we Say, go. Here we go. I am a very big fan of Michael Bolton. And oh, there's a okay. lot of history behind that. Um, so I listen to a lot of his classics. And um, he, he is definitely up there. He would have been a crooner had he been uh, back in the era of the 40s and 50s, wouldn't he? He would have been a crooner. I I don't know. I don't oh, he know. fit I, that era because he had that panache of okay. the style of the crooners of the day. Okay, question number four. Coke or Pepsi? Could be their products, but Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Okay. All right. Straightforward. 
that seems to be mixed. Now we're, we're getting into double digits with doing the show. I would say it's 60, 40 at most on one side or the other, but it's, it's fairly down the middle. All right. Last question. You take it wherever you want, Lori. What's your favorite road trip memory? My favorite oh, road gotcha. trip memory. Ah, wow. My favorite road trip memory was um, with a dear friend of mine who was from um, Texas, and she took me in her car, and we were going to watch her um, her daughter play basketball, and she's a pretty serious basketball player. And she took me to Cracker Barrel. And Cracker Barrel, I never had been to a Cracker Barrel. So I was this girl from the East Coast traveling and seeing cows all over the place and, <laughs> and uh, seeing gravy and, you know, not really knowing where I was. I okay. had, had a very <laughs> big experience uh, of, of learning uh, what what the West was like um, driving through and and seeing all of you know these animals and nature and um, it was a it was a big you know eye opening experience for me realizing I wasn't in New York and I wasn't surrounded by all these buildings so that's definitely yeah. up there for road trips. That's fantastic. I love hearing when I ask that question, that's why I put it at the end of the show because uh, uh, I get the opportunity to hear this and just, it, it's fun to hear what you guys have to say about it. Okay. Well, we're, we're wrapping up the show now and uh, I want us to stay on for just a couple of minutes after we say goodbye uh, to pick each other's brain a little bit or just to relax a little bit. So here I'll say thanks for listening. Ciao and chillax everybody and keep listening to life's a road trip. Thanks for listening. Check out previous episodes with new ones dropping each Tuesday. If you don't see a synopsis of this show where you're listening, visit our website at lifesaroadtrip.podbean.com for more information on this week's guest. This is your host, Scott Martin, reminding you that life's a road trip. 